Welcome to Antelope Road Christian Fellowship. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit myarcf.com. Bible teaching time. Would you raise a hand if you do not have a a Bible with you? We have volunteers who are going to hand out Bibles right now to get one to you, or sermon notes if you want sermon notes and did not get some. Just throw up a hand. We're going to bring those to you so that you are ready to go. Some of you who've been with us know that we've been piece by piece working through the Gospel of John, and it's been a little while. We've taken a break, and so it is time to... uh, over here, to refresh our memories, and if you're new, if you if this is your first Sunday, or if you just come to uh, hang out with us here in these last few months, you would know, so I want to catch you up to speed. The Gospel of John, fourth book of the New Testament, is so called on purpose. It is not called John's biography of Jesus, because a biography is trying to give a very Western view, a chronological view of time. This happened, then this happened, then this happened, this, this happened. With as little, a good historian is giving virtually no analysis, trying to leave their bias out of it. John is not doing that. John was a follower of Jesus who was probably in his upper teenage years when he walked with Jesus for three and a half years as a disciple and saw what Jesus did in the way of miracles, heard what Jesus taught, saw Je- was a part of those who ran away and abandoned Jesus on the night he was betrayed. John saw Jesus hanging on the cross, and John saw Jesus raised from the dead. John and the other apostles testified for years following of the resurrection of Jesus that he was the Jewish Messiah promised. They believed it so much that they suffered and were martyred for it. John, according to church history, was the only exemption, exception. They, I won't, there are little kids in here, so I won't say what happened to him, but let's just say it should have killed him. Something horrible happened to him, and he did not die, and the local pagans thought that the gods were angry, and so they just exiled him to Patmos instead of finishing the job. So, to say the least, John, by the time years later he's writing this, especially when he writes Revelation, he is an old man who has suffered much for his Savior. His body bears the marks of, of how much he loves his Savior, Jesus. And he writes, he tells us in the book, I am writing this that you might believe and have life in his name. So all of the pretense that we have today in today's history of, oh, I'm unbiased, I'm, I'm an outsider, I'm objective, no. John says, I am in. I am all in. He is the promised Jewish Messiah. He did actually empty his own grave, and he is the only one offering forgiveness of sins to anybody who wants it. So his cards are on the table. Hand up, I am biased. Okay? Just so we're clear. Because that's what a gospel is. A gospel is not every little detail that happened. Otherwise, they wouldn't have skipped his teenage years. Right? There are whole sections of Jesus' life that are left out because the gospel writers are trying to put forward a specific evidence of him being the Jewish Messiah. So they're quoting scripture a lot. They're showing him fulfilling Mosaic law. They're they're doing very specific communication to show sometimes to a Jewish audience, sometimes like Mark to a more Roman audience, he was God. That's the, the agenda. So 
You can take your cynical self with me straight to the Gospel of John. Now that we know his biases, we know how to analyze the book. So, the series that we're going to be preaching now through Easter, I'm calling it The Passion of the Christ. If you didn't know before the movie came out in 2004, passion is a word that's been used to describe suffering. The suffering of the Messiah. And it starts here in chapter 18, verse 1. Today's sermon is called Another Man, Another Garden. There has been a man in a garden before. That man was sinless, and that man still could not do the job in the war against Satan. Now we're going to see a different sinless man in a different garden, and he's going to take on Satan, and he's going to win. Now that you know the end, you can relax. I better turn there as well, or this sermon's going to be very odd out of Micah. Let's go to John 18. Page 899, if we handed out the black one, the, the, the uh, hardback to you. Page 899. After saying these things, Jesus crossed the Kidron Valley. What are these things? Chapter 17, you guys are good. Okay, so go study it so you know what he said. Jesus crossed the Kidron Valley with his disciples and entered a grove of olive trees. Judas, the betrayer, knew this place because Jesus had often gone there with his disciples. The leading priests and Pharisees had given Judas a contingent of Roman soldiers and temple guards to accompany him. Now the blade... Now the blazing torches, lanterns, and weapons, with blazing torches, lanterns, and weapons, they arrived at the olive grove. Jesus fully realized all that was going to happen to him, so he stepped forward to meet them. Who are you looking for, he asked. Jesus the Nazarene, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. As Jesus said, I am he, they all drew back and fell to the ground, because that's normal. Anybody ever get knocked over when somebody says their name? Physically knocked over. Okay, let's make a note of that. Verse 7. Once more he asked them, who are you looking for? And again they replied, Jesus the Nazarene. I told you that I am he. Jesus said, oh, I told you that I am he, Jesus said. And since I am the one you want, let these others go. He did this to fulfill his own statement. I did not lose a single one of those you have given me. Then Simon Peter drew a sword and slashed off the right ear of Malchus, because that always works. The high priest's slave. But Jesus said to Peter, put your sword back in its sheath. Shall I not drink from the cup of suffering the Father has given me? Holy Spirit, please teach us your word today. Help us to see into the garden. Help us to see into the heart of our Savior. Help us to see into the heart of our siblings in the faith who ran for their lives. Help us to see into the heart of people that would arrest Jesus. God, help us not to judge sinners because we are the same. God, help us to respond with worship and adoration to you who are strong and who are merciful and who is a saving God. Help us to see you rightly so that our passions and thoughts and words and behavior in 2022 would be marked 
by a powerful, good Savior and be a blessing to those around us. In the great and saving name of Jesus Christ, we pray. And God's people said, amen. If you've got your notes, ooh. I apologize for whatever I did with the PowerPoint, but hey, at least the words are there. Jesus saw the cost of obedience. Note takers, here are your blanks. He saw the cost of obedience and he stepped forward. Anybody see that besides me? As we read? Holy cow. Back to verse four. Jesus fully realized, this is with a lot of people, when they study the word contingent, they think this is a minimum of 200 Roman soldiers. Many theologians say it's 600. The point is, somebody is thinking that they're on the cusp of revolution and they're gonna need to physically overpower the disciples and any others. Because we, we, when we read the uh, gospels, we're so often we're in this Jesus and the 12 kind of mode. Jesus and the 12, they're following him, they're following him. Yeah, they're in the ministry doing a lot of the work, but there are ginormous crowds that come to hear Jesus teach. Especially when he grabs a kid's lunch and feeds 20,000 people, that will draw a crowd. So, the world does power the world's way, and when they're thinking we have to go arrest a guy because the spiritual elite don't like the power that he's taking, they're thinking the way they think. Isn't that what we all do? We all come at it from our own perspective. Peter's coming at it from his own perspective. They have swords, that's funny. I have a sword. <laughs> yeah. um, Peter obviously doesn't think he can win. He's, he's following through on what he just promised. Lord, even if I have to die for you, I won't betray you. They bring hundreds of soldiers Lanterns, torches, swords to a garden where there are 12 guys. Maybe a few of them have swords. And Jesus fully realized all that was going to happen to him. If you want to know how can Jesus be fully human, how can he have a brain and a heart and relationships and the same temptations that all of us face? How does he live on earth 30 some odd years knowing that the cross is coming? The Holy Spirit just told you. The Spirit, in some way that is not fully described, protected Jesus' mind and heart for 30 some odd years. He knew in a theoretical sense, he knows he's going to his cross but he does not feel the full weight of it until this moment. You could not sleep knowing you were condemned to die on a Roman cross. That's not possible. The only way Jesus was able to sleep for three, three plus decades is the Holy Spirit in his role in saving the church allowed Jesus to function. Because Jesus was a human too. He was God and he was human. And he has to get sleep like the rest of us. He fully realized all that was going to happen to him, so he ran. Did I read it right? So he got an attorney. Did I read it right? 
So he formed a protest to demand his rights. Did I read it right? So he grabbed a sword and started attacking soldiers. Did I read it right? What does Jesus need a sword for? His word is the sword, according to Revelation. Jesus just showed that if he wants to, at the declaration of his own name, he can knock everybody over. Look, I created you. I knit you together in your mother's womb, and the rock you're standing on, I made that too. Jesus doesn't need to kill these people. He wants to die for them. He sees all that's going to happen, and he steps forward. We know from other gospels that he's already been tormented in the garden, praying, God, if there is another way, I would love to take a different path, but your will be done. Do you hear the parameters in Jesus' prayer? He's not saying, I'm not willing to obey you, Father. He's not saying, I'm not willing to save rebellious humans from their sins. That is non-negotiable. Is there another way? The other gospels say that he prayed that three different times, three different seasons of prayer, and there was nothing from the Father. So he knew what he had to do. That's what happens right before this. Jesus sees the soldiers. He fully realizes what's going to happen to him. And he steps forward. When Tommy Lee Jones, in his epic role in Captain America, the first Avenger, was a seasoned, griddled veteran of the U.S. Army, early phase of World War II, he's looking for a guy to experiment on because the U.S. Army has this fancy special chemical that's going to turn a guy into a super soldier. And Tommy Lee Jones has the wisdom to go, hey, if our special chemical is going to make him physically strong, the only thing the chemical can't do is his heart. So I've got to find a guy who's got the right heart or we're going to make the wrong guy powerful and this is going to go bad. Are you with me so far? Don't make somebody stronger. I did that, by the way. When I was a youth pastor, I was 20 years old, and I had a leadership internship to train everybody in the high school who wanted to develop leadership skills. I started teaching them leadership. And who did I let into the internship? Anyone who put their hand up. Bad idea, because Hitler would put his hand up. Don't make people stronger (laughs) just because they put their hand up, right? Tommy Lee Jones says, I need to know if this guy that you guys are looking at, does he have the heart? Who is the right guy? And he grabs a dummy grenade when they're out doing jumping jacks or whatever they're doing and says, live grenade, live grenade, and throws a dummy grenade into the middle of 30 or 40 soldiers. Everybody runs, except for one guy who runs straight to the grenade and encircles it. To which the grizzled old veteran says, I found your guy. What kind of a savior runs from trouble when he's the one who can save? We don't need a savior who protects himself. 
We don't need a savior who licks his finger, sticks it to the political winds to see how things are going to go. To have a savior that is 100% God and 100% man is the only way to have a savior who can lay down his life and take it back up again. Because he said, I die when I choose to die and for which purposes, and I'm going to raise myself to life again as well. Because only a sovereign God can say that. Only a sovereign God can do that. A nice guy is not strong enough to do A nice guy can die for you. But a nice guy cannot make Easter happen. Next step. If you love Jesus, I want you to ask yourself this question. What is an act of worship that's been making you hesitate? Something God has told you and you've hesitated because of the cost? I want to encourage you, do it. Sometimes, those of us who teach the Bible, we're not coming here to bring something new to the church. We're coming to encourage the church to do what God already said. Christians, let me ask you, what has God already been telling you to do? Every aspect of the Christian life is to be marked by Jesus. It is all about his uh, advancement in the universe, pushing back what is dark with what is light. What has he told you to do, saint, where the cost is high and you have hesitated? Well, let's establish something first. My hand's going up. Who here, God has told you to do something and you've hesitated because the cost was high? Okay, good. That's called a Christian. If you are not sure yet what you think of Jesus and you're exploring faith, God has called you to lay down everything at his feet and trust him with your life. And maybe that's where you've hesitated. You've hesitated with the very first step of obedience. We follow a rabbi who did not hesitate because he already knew what his father told him to do. You and I, we hear God say stuff and we're like, Lord, I'm going to go pray about that. Sounds ludicrous when you say it out loud. Pray about. Lord, I'm going to talk to you about what you just told me to do. Oops. I might be stuck. Worship is hard, guys. Do you guys know worship is hard? I think it's hard. Worship is like, hey, Abraham, you know that son I gave you, the miracle child? Give him back to me. That's worship. I'll bring you more than a song for a song in itself is not what you've required. Or David, I will not give to my Lord that which cost me nothing. If you ever think that God is putting burdens onto humanity that he has not taken himself, look at John 18. Jesus is called to worship. He is called to obey the will of the Father to save rotten, rebellious humanity while we are still raging against him. And he feels the full weight of what it's going to cost him. And he steps forward 
our rabbi, our leader, the one that we seek to emulate, the one who has saved us, he was a forward stepper. You can step forward after you've heard from your father. In fact, it's the only thing to do. But what did the 11 do? They ran. But they had to. Jesus actually told them to. He said, let these others go. Saints, not only did we betray and abandon our Savior, we had to. He was going to do this alone. You and I cannot contribute to the cross of Christ whatsoever. The abandonment of Jesus in this horrifying moment is what testifies that your good works and my good works cannot contribute to the blood that he shed the next morning. Peter was not on that cross. John was not on that cross. Mark was, none of them. Mark didn't get saved till later. But those that were there, they were not abandoned. They were just protected by their rabbi and their God. They did not participate in the suffering. They witnessed it. And 2,000 years later, you and I are doing the same exact thing. When we see the suffering of our Savior, we witness it. The degree to which we participate in it is like a, a downstream. It's described, I think, in, um, gosh, I don't remember right now. There's a degree to which the saints are invited. Oh, it's at the back end of Romans 8. We're invited into, no, the middle. The, the back end of suffering is like, do we get to participate in the sufferings of Christ in the sense that we are treated the same way? Yes. In making the purchase to purchase the church back? No. No. You are not that big. I am not that big. Jesus is not so small. He needs your help. What is an act of worship, saints, that you know God has told you there might be something, if you're married, there's something in the way that you treat your spouse that God has told you to do and you have hesitated because it's going to be hard. There are some of you that God has told you to join a ministry or start a ministry inside this church and nobody else knows about it because God spoke to you. I don't say that to fan autonomy into flames. You know, still talk to the elders about it by all means, but... Sometimes it's not happening because the person that God spoke to is hesitating because the cost is high. And he's not going to speak to somebody else because it's your assignment. Some of you young folks, there's a specific way that God has called you to honor your mother or honor your father and you've hesitated because the cost is high. When I say young folks, it's people in their 50s that get caught in the middle caring for their parents and their boomerang kids at the same time. What is the step of obedience God has already told you? Maybe he's shouted at you. Maybe he's told you a hundred times. But the cost is high and you need to admit to yourself, you need to sit down and talk with Jesus and say, Lord Jesus, this is going to hurt to do it. This is going to hurt to say yes to it. And you need to breathe out. Just accept that there's a high cost to it. And then you march up the mountain and you give him your son. Because he's not yours. 
And he has the power to resurrect your son anyway. And then you find out he never wanted your son anyway. He wanted your heart. ARCF, I'm, I'm never going to try. I'll try my best to never call you to be a religious group of do-gooders that attends on Sunday. And the more of you attend, the better I feel about myself. I want you to know my agenda. I believe it's the agenda of all the elders. I'm trying to teach the word and invite the Holy Spirit to create worshipers. Starting with me. Do you know the first job of the elders is repentance? We cannot teach you the word of God and ask you to change your course and fall in line with God's glad, joy-filled commands for you, these blessings. We can't do that unless we've first opened it for ourselves, seen the darkness, and repented and said, God, I'm sorry. God, I'm wrong. My thinking is wrong. My words are wrong. My passions are wrong. My actions are wrong. And you are right. What do you need to do today to worship Jesus? Next. Jesus protected Peter and followed God's plan by telling Peter to stop. If there's anybody who thinks he's protecting God's grand design right now, his name is Peter. Is Peter right or is Peter wrong? Talk to me, church. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because it'll give you opportunity to lie. So I'm just going to tell you. If you love Jesus Christ, you have absolutely, 100%, once or a thousand times, believed that you knew better than God how to advance God's kingdom. You have done it before. We lose our minds when a particular missionary feels called to do a particular thing and they're not able to raise enough money and we think the kingdom's gonna collapse. Instead of saying, okay, God, you've got something else in mind here, we freak out. We thought we were going to go do this, and it doesn't happen for some reason. We face some kind of opposition. We freak out. You know what's cool? Paul's example in the book of Acts, he says, we went here and preached the gospel, and we went here, and we went here. And then in one city, he says, the Holy Spirit prevented us from going there. So you know what he did? He turned left. He just went to the next city. Oh, the Spirit doesn't want us to go there. Okay, and kept going. Paul trusted God with the advancement of God's kingdom. Paul saw himself as a tool, as one little piece of the pie. Peter thinks that it's his job to protect Jesus and save God's plan. And, you know, Jesus has to be famous. Jesus has to help us take over Rome. Rome came with swords. My Jesus walked on water. I got to join him. I know how this goes. My sword is going to be awesome. I heard that Bible story in Sunday school as a good little Jewish kid. I remember Jonathan and his armor bearer. That's what we're going to be, Jesus. Jesus, I'm going to have the faith of Jonathan right now, and you're going to be my arm bearer, but you're going to be my sidekick, Jesus. Jesus is my co-pilot. Somebody should have a bumper sticker of that. You're going to come along with my agenda, and it's going to be great. Does that ever work? Does the sovereign play co-pilot to anyone? No, he doesn't. 
No, he doesn't. Have you ever thought that you knew better than God how something should happen? Have you ever taken things into your own hand? God, I'm gonna make this happen. I'm gonna work more hours or I'm gonna quit my job. I'm gonna quit my marriage. I'm gonna tell them how it ought to be. Give them a piece of my mind. I'll go do this. I'll go do that. There's something so empowering about taking action. It can feel like you're in control when you don't have control. Peter grabs a sword. We know from one of the other gospels that Jesus, this is so cool, picks up Malchus's ear and just puts it back on. Is that cool or what? Human beings bring arrogance, I'm gonna save God, and the large crowd brings swords to arrest God and kill God. And what is God doing? Healing and calling for peace. If you're investigating Jesus, I want you to see Jesus rightly in the face of swords. He's healing others and calling for peace. This is the God that we're inviting you to worship. Where is Jesus Christ in the Ukraine right now? He's healing people and he's calling for peace. Jesus protected Peter by telling him to knock it off. Do you see how Peter's gonna get himself killed? Plenty of guys with swords. Peter's toast. And if you know the rest of Peter's testimony, the rest of Peter's ministry, there's a lot that the sovereign God has ordained for Peter to say and do along with the apostles. And all of that is being threatened here in this moment. How much do you see Peter in the book of Acts? A lot. All of that, so older millennials are with me. So if you adjust the flux flux capacitor and you get up to 88 miles per hour and you have 27.2 gigawatts of energy, you've got everything that you need. I'm sorry. 1.21 gigawatts. It's been too long. Thank you. Don't ever say millennials are worthless. We have valuable information. Um, (laughs) You're like, I was there for all of the 80s. Yes, but we memorized the 80s. So... um, Everything that you see Peter doing in the book of Acts is being threatened here in the garden the same way that Marty McFly is playing the guitar and he's watching himself and his siblings not exist anymore. The future that he knows is not existing because his parents are not gonna meet and fall in love and marry. If you didn't see it, it came out at 85. You've had 37 years to see that movie. All of the book of Acts, most of the book of Acts, especially the first half, is being threatened here in the garden. If Peter dies now, things go very differently. That is not to say Peter is irreplaceable. If Peter will not proclaim, there are rocks that will. Jesus said so. It's not about Peter. It is about the sovereign will of God. Peter is bulletproof until God says he's done with Peter. That was for free. Jesus is protecting Peter. Is this irony? Peter thinks he's protecting Jesus. If you're a Christian, I hope you heard that. When you think that you're protecting Jesus' reputation, Jesus needs my help. That's cute. 
Jesus is protecting Peter by telling him to stop. So when a civic engineer is told, hey, we're going to put some roads in here, we're going to put some housing in here, we're going to put in some commercial over here, and these are the roads that we need to and from or whatever, would you please design all of the roads according to what our need's going to be? Here's what we think the traffic is going to be, et cetera, et cetera. And then he or she sits down with their proverbial pencil and says, okay, here are the roads, the widths of the road, width of the roads, et cetera, et cetera. And that person has to decide where will the traffic be high enough that we need stoplights, where it will be low enough that we do stop signs, or really low. California barely knows what these are, in my opinion. <laughs> I drive through the middle of the country, and this is all they have. Um, a yield sign. You don't have to stop your vehicle, but there's enough clearance left and right, especially to your, to your left, that you can easily see if another car is coming. If they are coming, you yield, you defer to them. Stop, treat it like a stop sign now, and let them go. They have the right of way. If there's nobody, you can keep going. Everybody with me? If you're under the age of 10, Google is going to drive your vehicle for you, so you can ignore what I just said. Um, the rest of us need to know that. People design our roads with everybody in mind. The idea is safety. How can people get from point A to point B safely? There are places where we are commanded to yield. There are places where we are commanded to stop. Sometimes we can't take a U-turn. We say something that we have to apologize to Jesus for. Then we have to go through the Arco and then back behind the McDonald's and then do it around just because they wouldn't let us take a U-turn. I'm not bitter. Um, or we take the illegal U-turn because traffic isn't very high and there's nobody watching. Oh. What? Don't look at me like you don't do it. So... Peter in this moment does not know how to yield to the Messiah that he said he's committed to. And that's not to throw Peter under the bus. You and I are no better. I said last week, if I'm going to sin, and I will, I'd much rather sin like Peter than the other 10. Do you want to just soil yourself and run, or do you at least want to, like, do something, right? We're abandoning Jesus either way. And, in case, in case we forget, this is the guy that Jesus has already said, you're going to lead my apostles, and he doesn't renege on that because of Jesus, Peter's behavior here, which is about to get worse when he denies him three times. There is initiative. I'm realizing I have no clock on it. Oh, 10, 16. <sighs> okay, your prayer request for this week is that Greg would get less excited about whatever he's preaching so that this just goes faster. Um, here's my point. Jesus is in charge, Jesus is doing his things, and we are supposed to be in the back seat or the side seat, not telling him what to do. That, that's how you yield to Jesus. You don't ever insinuate that he is co-pilot. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Uh, not if you're a worshiper of Jesus. You actually worship him as God. He's not an add-on. If he's an add-on, there's a huge problem because you haven't seen him for the Messiah that he is. You are still worshiping you. And I love you enough to tell you, I know that's hard, I know that's brutal. You and I, all of us, worship ourselves until the moment that we see Jesus for who he is and he changes our heart. That is the human condition. We think that we're a big deal, we're in charge, we're total control, we take things into our own hands. Let me ask you, did you know Jesus might be stopping your agenda for your own protection. 
and for God's glory, for God's agenda. I grew up in church, so I've heard stuff over-spiritualized my entire life. You pray for something, it hasn't happened, and some nice person, good-hearted, well-intentioned person in the church says, well, we're just gonna keep praying until the Lord answers this prayer. <laughs> uh, the book says God might have already answered the prayer. So I'm not saying don't keep praying. It's just that you and I, um, unsubmissiveness doesn't like no. We didn't pray for a no, we prayed for a yes. Do we know sometimes that God said no? No, sometimes we have no idea. Is he not answering? I, I, I don't know, Lord. And he's, is he gonna point and laugh at us when we get to heaven and say, you prayed too long about that when I already said no. No, he's not gonna point and laugh. Did you know that God, out of his mercy, might be stifling your agenda? He might be shutting it down because he's got something going on. And he either didn't tell you because you didn't need to know, or he told you and you didn't listen. No, just me? Okay, no, that's fine. That's fine, it's just me. We all have agendas and worshipers lay those agendas down at Jesus' feet. Yeah. That's, right? Yeah. That doesn't mean that agenda doesn't happen. I felt in my bones from when I was very young that I wanted to be a married man. And God in his mercy said, yes, that's a part of my agenda too. But God did not owe me a great wife. I was not entitled to that, right? I just thought the ladies for sure would like holler at that point, amen. They don't deserve us. <laughs> we lay our agendas down. Lord, if you make it happen, thank you. But if you don't make it happen, I trust you. If you want to turn with me to page 938, I'm going to read a very important scripture, and then we're going to close in prayer. Romans 5, starting at verse 12. I'm not going to commentate. I'm going to let Paul speak for himself. Page 938 in the hardbacks. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Yes, people sinned even before the law was given, but it was not counted as sin because there was not yet any law to break. Still, everyone died. From the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even those who did not disobey an explicit commandment of God as Adam did. Now Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ who was yet to come. But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through the other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of the one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation. But God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. 
For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. But Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and a new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God, would you make worshipers out of us, please, that we'd be the men, women, and children that you destined for us to be. God, that you'd make us the church you have ordained that we be. God, we confess individually and corporately that we have a million sins and we ask for your forgiveness. We ask for your grace. And we ask for courage that pours out of your Holy Spirit that we would take the next step of obedience, God. That for some of us, perhaps it's been years that you've been speaking to us, but we've been afraid. God, give us courage, realizing that we're citizens of heaven, that only what is done for your sake is going to count in the end. Would you make worshipers out of us today, Jesus? Make Make us a church full of passionate disciples of Jesus Christ. Do not let us be spectators, Lord. Don't let us be commentators. But God, get us on the field. In the precious name of Jesus, we ask all of this. God's people said.